Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When a bubbly nine-year-old girl turns up dead just a block from her Lakewood, Washington home. It's hard to find the words to describe how she must have suffered. The death of an angel leaves friends and family brokenhearted. It hit me pretty hard that she's not coming back. She's never going to come back. I think it just rips to the soul of everybody. Detectives are determined to move heaven and earth to track down her killer. It's a tough neighborhood. We had detectives knocking on every door, questioning everybody. But police keep striking out until the most unlikely witnesses point them to a likely suspect. This is somebody who is very violent, very, very evil. And a child killer is taken off the streets for good. Well, it felt good to lock it up. There's no doubt in my mind that he'd have killed again. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Lakewood, Washington is a tranquil little place just off the Puget Sound. It's got a small town state of mind that makes everyone from tourists to townies feel right at home. Everybody in the neighborhood knew everybody and it was kind of like the saying it takes an entire village to raise a child. Scenic lakes and landscapes reel in visitors while two neighboring military bases power the local economy. Lakewood's got a neighborhood to fit any tax bracket, from tattoo artists to TV stars. Linda Evans used to have a house in Lakewood, a multi-million dollar homes on some of the lakes. The closer you are to the I-5 corridor, there's more of your strip malls, fast food restaurants, pawn shops. With something for everyone, it's easy to see why single mom Rhonda Hebison moves here in 1993 with three kids in tow. The 26-year-old is relieved to find an affordable address, a second-floor apartment on Lincoln Avenue. Compared to the family's last digs in the next town over, it's definitely a step up. It seemed really quiet and friendly. I thought it was a safe area out there. That's why I moved to Lakewood. The family's neighborhood is working class at best, but it's working out well for Rhonda's daughters. 
nine-year-old Cindy, seven-year-old Ashley, and three-year-old Brittany. The fun-loving trio is always making new friends. There was a lot of kids in that neighborhood. A lot of apartment complexes, so a lot of kids. Rhonda's eldest, Cindy, keeps an eye on her younger sisters. And that's welcome help for Rhonda, who's still getting used to parenting on her own. Neither Brittany's father nor Ashley and Cindy's is in the picture. So it's a good thing Cindy and her mom get along. Me and Cindy always had a close connection with communication and stuff. Even though Cindy's mature for a second grader, Rhonda still needs to be part cop and at times part beauty pageant mom. Cindy wins the Miss Congeniality Award hands down. She did have a lot of friends. She would start talking and say, Mommy, I've met a new friend. Can I go play with them? Everybody just loves Cindy. Rhonda manages to make ends meet. But keeping three little lovelies in food and fashion isn't cheap. And Cindy's a girly girl who loves to dress up. She loved dresses. She didn't want to wear shorts that much, mostly dresses. A frilly dress is a typical uniform for Cindy, the leader of Rhonda's social butterflies. Cindy and the girls flit happily from one activity to the next. They liked riding their bikes. They liked uh, playing Barbies outside or playing ball or just hanging out with their friends. But every mother of young daughters worries a little about their safety. And Rhonda's no different. It was nerve-wracking sometimes. They're young and uh, anything could happen. Rhonda may be cash poor, but her instincts are right on the money. Her delightful daughter is about to disappear in the blink of an eye. Thursday, July 4th, 1996 is unusually warm for summer in Washington state. And the neighborhood kids count down the hours until the big fireworks display. Rhonda's daughters are excited too. The kids always loved the 4th of July, so that was a big day for them. Rhonda hopes to keep the girls occupied until the fireworks that evening by taking care of some chores on a lazy summer day. But Cindy has other plans. So around three that afternoon, Rhonda heads out on an errand, trusting Cindy to hang with her playmates in the hood. She was supposed to check in like every hour to let me know what's going on or she would have to call me. She was usually very good at doing that. Like most moms, Rhonda expects Cindy home for dinner. So when the family sits down to pizza at about six and Cindy's seat at the table is still empty, Rhonda takes notice, but doesn't panic just yet. I just was like, oh, she's still playing with her friend. I just saved some pizza for her. I think she'd come back later. But when Cindy still isn't home after the sun goes down, Rhonda starts to worry. Is her little girl just celebrating July 4th at a friend's house? I went from door to door to all of her friends' houses to see if anybody had seen her. I even started asking people that I didn't know that well. But no one has seen the petite brunette. And by 11 o'clock, this day is fast becoming a mother's worst nightmare. I was getting very panicky by that time, thinking there's something definitely must be going on. I better call 911 to let them know and the, that she hasn't came home. Oh, yes, my name is Cindy. Teresa Berg sees Independence Day a little differently than most Lakewood residents. As a detective at the Pierce County Sheriff's Department, it's not exactly a holiday she looks forward to. 
Fourth of July is a busy day for most police departments and sheriff's departments. We're running most of the time to loud parties and fireworks and fights, um, a lot of drinking. This night's celebration is no different. It leaves a stack of case files on Teresa's desk the next morning, like a hangover after a party. But to this mother of two young girls, one in particular stands out. The case of little Cindy Allinger. I looked at it and I thought, we need to step up finding her. She's only nine years old and she cannot be out there alone. So Teresa shoots out of the office like a bottle rocket. First thing I did was head out to speak to the mother and find out a little more. When was Cindy last seen? And did anybody else have any information about where we might look for her? When Teresa talks with Rhonda at her apartment, the detective is stopped cold by Rhonda's cool demeanor. The lack of emotion just doesn't ring right for Detective Berg, and she can't shake the feeling that something is wrong with this picture. Normal parents are hysterical when their kids are missing. They're absolutely distraught, but um, not in this case. Is Rhonda in a state of shock about Cindy's disappearance? Or does she harbor a shocking secret? Or is she protecting someone else who does? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Nothing is more personal or specific than our health and well-being. So it's really weird to me that most weight loss plans are one size fits all. Noom, however, is different. Noom understands that every single person is unique, so they build personal plans to meet individual needs. I appreciate that Noom is designed this way, that it meets each person where they're at, and that its approach is based in psychology and biology. And not only that, this approach is grounded in science. Noom has published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about it. 
Noom also wants you to enjoy food so it doesn't restrict what you can eat or shame you for treating yourself. I actually overheard a conversation about Noom at my local cafe the other day. Both diners were talking about all these foods they've discovered that they really love thanks to recipes they found on the Noom app. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Folks in Lakewood, Washington, usually look forward to the July 4th holiday weekend. But when word spreads that nine-year-old Cindy Allinger has been missing for almost 24 hours, residents aren't exactly in the mood to celebrate. Everyone really wanted to find this girl. They were trying to find Cindy. I know I was certainly compelled to try and do what I could just with my coverage. In 1996, Hector Castro is a cub reporter, determined to make a difference with his first big story for the News Tribune. This was a big deal. Cindy Allinger's disappearance was big news in this community. No one is more devastated by the news than Cindy's grandfather, Jim Rubitino. He lives to spoil his grandgirls with ice cream and outings. I got a phone call from Rhonda and says, can't find Cindy. And right away I said to her, this doesn't sound good, but I was hoping that she would be uh, found alive. At the Pierce County Sheriff's Office, Detective Teresa Berg hopes so too. But she knows the fuse on this case is getting shorter, like a lit cherry bomb left over from yesterday's fireworks display. Time is so of the essence when a little one's missing. If you're going to save them, you have to get them back quick. And so much time had already passed. With no time to lose, Berg's best source of answers is Cindy's mother, Rhonda. So she keeps asking questions in a marathon interview that lasts all night long. Oftentimes, missing children are related to a family issue or a family member. And in this case, was no exception. But Detective Berg isn't sure what to make of Cindy's mom just yet. Rhonda doesn't seem to know much about her daughter's friends or her favorite haunts. It wasn't what I expected from a parent. For an investigator, it's very frustrating not to be able to get what we consider basic information. But if Rhonda doesn't know the ins and outs of Cindy's social life, someone else in the household does. Cindy's seven-year-old sister, Ashley, is worried about her big sister and wants to help find her. I asked her, where, where does Cindy go? Can you show me? Can you tell me? The sister of Cindy became my helper and said, I can show you. Teresa's about to get a child's eye tour of the neighborhood. Armed with a picture of Cindy, the unlikely pair makes the rounds, hoping they'll get lucky. Initially, we worked just going pretty much door to door and speaking to everybody and anybody. Lots of people were out and about, especially during the summer. Lots of kids. But all their cold calls don't yield a single hot lead. Many people had seen Cindy that day, or thought they had. But not a lot of concrete information on what time was that or who was she with. But the determined duo keeps trying, leaving no door unknocked. 
some stops seem more promising than others, like the log cabin in the woods at the end of Cindy's block. Cindy's younger sister told us about a man that she would go visit sometimes, and she liked to go there because he had a dog. But when Berg peeks inside, the rooms are empty. It doesn't look like anyone lives there, and nothing about the house grabs her attention. At this particular time, we didn't really have a lot of information that would lead us to go inside the house and seek evidence. So for now, it's just one more lead that doesn't pan out. We had uh, well over four or 500 tips that came in. Each one had to be followed up on, and we were going around the clock as much as we could, but, you know, people need to sleep and eat. And if Berg's going to do any of either, she'll need some help. Pierce County Detective Rick Adamson is looking forward to retiring in a few years. But Adamson's a cop's cop, and he won't hang up his badge until his passion for police work is gone. And as long as there are cases like Cindy's, it may be a while before he gets his gold watch. Anytime you've got a child that's missing that's possibly abducted, they're defenseless. So it's up to the community and law enforcement to throw everything we can at the problem to locate the child. Adamson comes on the case a day after Berg. And when he interviews Rhonda on his own, he gets a strong vibe. The kind you only get after 12 years as a detective. My gut feeling, my experience interviewing people in these types of cases was that she was not a killer. She had issues, but I just cannot connect the dots. During his interview, the dots finally start to form a picture when an unexpected guest turns up. Seems that sometimes, like today, Rhonda's boyfriend, Dean Heisenberg, stays at her place. Very frequently, a boyfriend is responsible for the physical abuse or death of a child, and the girlfriend then covers for the boyfriend, which would have made sense in this case because he was providing her with a lot of financial support. During Adamson's interview, Rhonda's boyfriend won't stop butting in. He got more aggressive when she was missing. He got more panicky and started being more controlling with me. And every time Rhonda hears Dean's voice, she clams up. He would attempt to answer questions for Rhonda, be Rhonda's spokesman. He was trying to be a white knight to her. He was very aggressive with us, very demeaning and insulting. Sounds like the sometimes sleepover boyfriend may be worth questioning one-on-one. It was very suspicious, and I wanted to concentrate on the boyfriend as a primary suspect. When Detective Berg interviews Dean later at the police station, his behavior doesn't help his cause. He was trying to be very controlling, you know, find out stuff, ask the questions, and when I didn't cooperate, um, he wasn't liking that at all. Dean's effort to control the conversation makes Berg even more determined to figure out what he's up to. And when she digs into his case file, she hits pay dirt. Issues of abuse with Cindy did come out, and that was very concerning. It was physical abuse. Maybe he's at it again. And that's why Cindy is nowhere to be found. The boyfriend is shaping up to be a good suspect, but a suspect police want to treat with kid gloves. And they have to get to the bottom of this without endangering the girls still at home. We became very cautious with him. We didn't want to try to press him too hard in case he would take it out on his girlfriend and the children. 
When detectives quiz Dean on his whereabouts the afternoon Cindy disappeared, he whips out an alibi faster than a passenger showing a train ticket. His alibi was his work. Um, he worked for the railroad and was on a train. Didn't exactly clear him, totally. While work logs show he was on board the afternoon Cindy went missing, detectives are still suspicious of when he got off. So they order a polygraph test. They're surprised when he agrees to take it, and even more surprised by the results. The boyfriend took a polygraph, and he did pass the polygraph. With Dean in the clear, detectives search for any other skeletons in Rhonda's closet. They don't have to look far to find one. Cindy's dad fits the bill. We located the bio father. Nobody likes to think that a parent would harm their children, but we know, in fact, they do. So our eyes are open to that. If Cindy's baby daddy fits that profile, maybe detectives have found their man. In the picturesque town of Lakewood, Washington, early July is usually filled with the buzz of mosquitoes. But two days after nine-year-old Cindy Allinger goes missing, all reporter Hector Castro can hear is town chatter over the little girl's fate. I hadn't been a reporter very long, but even then, yeah, after a few days, we were thinking this is not going to end well. If detectives have any chance of finding Cindy alive, they must find the suspect, and fast. And they just may have hit on Mr. Wright. It seems Rhonda's current boyfriend isn't the only bad boy in her life. We knew that her history with prior relationships indicated to us that that was a typical pattern that she fell into as far as her relationships with boyfriends. Cindy's biological father also fits the pattern. We always look for the bio parents. Her biological father was a bad guy. The baby daddy has a history of roughing up Rhonda and Cindy. Unfortunately, most child reductions are an estranged spouse or a estranged parent that's trying to get custody of the children. Now, Pierce County investigators want to know if Cindy's dad is up to no good again. He seems like a perfect suspect, but looks can be deceiving. Turns out he has an alibi that's strong as steel. Rhonda told us, I'm not worried about him because he's in prison. So right off the bat, we knew very quickly that he's out of state. He's been locked up in maximum security prison for years. He's serving a 37-year prison term in Nevada for burglary, robbery, and use of a deadly weapon. For detectives, it's one more lead that doesn't lead anywhere. It's frustrating. You don't sleep very well. You don't eat very well. You don't have much time to do anything because you're concentrating on the case and you're racing against the clock. And if Cindy's fallen prey to a predator, he could be hunting for other young victims. I know the community was very anxious. We tried to alleviate that, of course, but it was difficult times. And with kids playing everywhere, Cindy's neighborhood is a bad guy's dream. This is a neighborhood where mostly single parents, not a lot of supervision. There were a lot of parents that basically were raising latchkey kids that uh, they get them up in the morning, open the door, and let them roam the streets. It's a scary scenario, especially since Cindy's part of town just happens to be a hotbed of registered sex offenders. 
we were astounded by how many sex offenders were in the neighborhood. Just in her building alone, we had 28 sex offenders, and there were many more in the surrounding blocks. Because it's a lower rent area, you know, it's more transient. Lots of people have criminal backgrounds in that area. Detectives have no choice but to speak with the offenders one by one. There are no shortcuts, just a lot of long conversations. You can't really just rule people out and say, nope, this isn't it, let's move on to the next person. It's not that easy. And you kind of have to look at what is their history, what kind of offense had they been committing, what were they interested in. Investigators gradually whittle the dozens down to a handful. Most sex offenders are predisposed to a certain type of victim, a certain age of victim, male, female, young, old, elderly. But only two or three of the suspects have a penchant for young girls. And, and we eventually located them, and they were able to count their, their whereabouts. As the suspects drop off the list and the days slide into weeks, the hope of finding Cindy slips away. Even though we were throwing all sorts of resources onto the case, I basically gave this less than a 5% chance that we we're going to find her alive. That's a grim prediction. And it's times like these when Detective Teresa Berg goes looking for some good news. And she knows just where to find it. I've been working with Toys for Tots now for a number of years, and it's one of the happy things that I get to do. A lot of what we do in police work is pretty negative. And so to have so much positive energy coming out of a program like that, it really does carry you through for quite a while. But like any good detective, Berg's thoughts are never far from her case, especially this case. I think that for a homicide detective, this particular kind of case is probably the worst you can have. I think the children aren't the worst you can deal with. Seems another detective who's been working the case is just as dedicated. Two weeks after Cindy goes missing, he has a brainstorm. While reviewing case notes, the detective stops at the mention of a piled of rolled up carpet in a wooded field near Cindy's house. A searcher spotted the items shortly after Cindy went missing. They saw the pile of carpets. They just didn't take the, the carpets apart. One of our detectives decided to, on his own, go out and look in that general area. Just kind of had a gut feeling. Maybe, just maybe, Cindy's abductor brought her here. The second he steps into the woods, he knows he's onto something. Got the carpets pulled on a little bit. Sure enough, when the investigator unrolls one of the carpets, he comes face to face with the little girl everyone's been looking for, Cindy Allinger. She was dressed in the same clothes that her mother believed that she was last in, and we had portraits of her in the same dress. So it was obvious that it was the right age, sex, and the clothing was identical to the photographs that we had. It's a heartbreaking scene. Cindy is only partially dressed, and there's a gag in her mouth. It's clear to the detective she suffered severe head trauma. It's one of the most savage murders I've seen in my career. Probably the most savage. It's just disgusting that a human being could do that to a small child. It's truly, truly evil. This is a monster. When the awful news makes its way to Grandpa, he's crushed. He can't believe his little angel met a hellish end. 
I was heartbroken that they found her body and knowing that she's dead. The finality leaves Cindy's mother reeling too. It was it was pretty horrifying. But I was like in a state of shock at the same time that this, you know, this can't be happening to me. Detectives need to find the killer without delay. The location of the body now has investigators convinced he's local. And if they're right, there's no telling when he may strike again. This is somebody who is very violent, very, very evil. And we were sure he had done things before and probably would again, most certainly would. In Lakewood, Washington, there's no such thing as business as usual. Once news comes out that nine-year-old Cindy Allinger is dead. Two weeks after she went missing, neighbors and family mourn the sweet little girl killed in cold blood, right in their very own town. There were people there at the funeral that they didn't know Cindy at all. But at the funeral, when the casket was lowered and everything else, there were people crying, sobbing. The only way to start the healing process is to find Cindy's killer. And detectives Teresa Berg and Rick Adamson are on the case. These are cases that the public pays a lot of attention in, and they demand that these cases will be resolved and be resolved quickly. This case really needs a quick resolution because the killer may be right in their own backyard, sizing up another victim. And when the autopsy report comes in from the ME's office, it's clear just how evil this guy really is. Manner of death for Cynthia Allinger was a blunt force trauma and asphyxiation. And our suspicions of the violent uh, sexual assault uh, were confirmed. A confirmation that sends chills through the police department. Investigators have already interviewed every registered sex offender in the neighborhood. So Cindy's killer must be flying under the radar. With no likely suspects, police turn once again to some unlikely informants, Cindy's pint-sized playmates. They had all the information because these kids played with Cindy and they knew her and they knew where she would go and they knew what kinds of things she did and who she talked to and where she visited. Detective Berg hit a dead end earlier when Cindy's sister, Ashley, tried to help. But maybe adding a few friends to the mix will open an alternative route to the killer's identity. We were asking them, did you see her with anybody? Uh, If you did see her with somebody, what did the person look like? Do you know the person's name? Did you see them walking anywhere? Where did you see them walking to? But getting the who, what, when, and where from young children is harder than getting them to color inside the lines. They don't work with time very well. They don't keep watches. It's summertime. Detective Berg slowly untangles fact from fiction, like a mother combing knots from a little girl's hair. And her patience pays off. We had several young children who described to us a male that they saw walking with Cindy on the day that she disappeared and actually saw her walking with this male holding his hand. Seems the man with Cindy on July 4th afternoon was a hippie type all the children knew. Children, including Cindy's sister, had described what he wore, tie-dye t-shirts and cut-off shorts, and that was what he was seen wearing on the day that 
he was seen walking with Cindy, which was the day she disappeared. Armed with the children's description, detectives start knocking on neighbors' doors again. We needed to not only find out who he was, but everything about him and where he might have been on that day and, and since that day. Interviews with adult neighbors helped develop the picture. And like a Polaroid revealing an image, a profile of the perp starts to emerge. This man was a musician, played in a band. We understand he used a lot of marijuana or pot in the neighborhood. He was known for that. But it turns out he's best known by a nickname, Raz. He came and went. He was seen walking around. You know, people really didn't pay attention to folks like that in that particular area because there were so many different people in that area that I don't know that he he stood out all that much. Even Cindy's mother knows about Raz. Just four months before Cindy disappeared, she asked if he could come to her birthday party. And I said, oh, okay, how old is Raz? And she said, oh, he's probably about your age, Mom. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, you can't (laughs) have people that age as your friend. So Cindy's mom refuses to invite Raz over and forbids Cindy to see him anymore. I never heard her really talking about him anymore, so everything's good. But as it turns out, Cindy couldn't resist this 60s Svengali, and her friends tell detectives why. He had a drum set and a dog and let her play with the dog and play with the instruments, and she liked that. And now, Rhonda's younger daughter, Ashley, admits what she'd been afraid to say before. Ashley told the detectives that uh, she had been over there a few times and that I didn't know about it. And Ashley had also stated that a lot of the other kids in the neighborhood would go over there also. But when Ashley tells detectives where the mystery man lives, it's deja vu all over again for Detective Berg. I found it very interesting when some of the young children that we were interviewing were describing the same place that Ashley had shown me just down the block from where Cindy lived. Seems the puzzle pieces are starting to form a picture. We may have a lead here, a viable lead, and that we're on the right path. That was exciting. Berg knows that tiny tots aren't the most reliable witnesses. But when she hears the same story twice, it's time to take a closer look. That door was knocked on. The search dogs were in that yard. I was with them. When we ran the dog to that area, there was nobody home at that time. Police still don't have enough evidence for a search warrant, which is just one more reason they have to find Raz. But none of the neighbors has seen him recently. So where is this pot-smoking Pied Piper now? Seems Raz isn't all that difficult for detectives to track down. First time I saw him, I'm just his mannerisms and what I know about him. I thought I was looking into the devil's eyes himself. He's just a very freaky, dangerous-looking person. But just because he looks like a killer doesn't mean he is one. So who exactly is he? He tells police his full name is Guy Rasmussen. But when detectives run him through the sex offender database, they don't get any hits. And he's not giving them a lot of answers either. He was being very vague. He is 
very sharp, cagey, quick on his feet. He loves to talk. You could not rattle this guy. So we never, ever were able to obtain a, a confession. With no confession and nothing to tie Raz to Cindy's body, police have no choice but to let him go. But while they let Raz leave the station, he never leaves their sight. We did initiate a 24-7 round-the-clock surveillance on him. Wherever he went, he always had a surveillance team following him. Detectives quickly discover where he lives. Seems he's moved out of the log cabin down the street from Cindy's apartment, which explains why it's vacant. We discovered that he was staying over at a trailer park with another male. He knew we were watching him. A lot of times we were being obvious in the surveillance to let him know that we were there, and then sometimes we were being covert. Uh, So the idea was to keep him off track. Until detectives close this case and hear the cell door slam on Cindy's killer, they keep their eye on the prize. We just couldn't take the chance of him not being watched and maybe doing some other harm. But is the man they have in their sights really Cindy's killer? And if he is, can they catch him before he strikes again? In Lakewood, Washington, police are watching Guy Rasmussen, AKA Raz, around the clock. Detectives follow his every move, like chess players waiting for him to slip up so they can call checkmate and end this deadly game for good. At this point, we knew that we had a circumstantial case based on witness testimony as far as placing them together. But if you don't have some degree of evidence to establish probable cause and get a conviction, it can become extremely gut-wrenching and frustrating. To break the stalemate, detectives decide to dig a little deeper into Raz's past. And what they find cracks the case wide open. Once we did a criminal history check on him, his background uh, just became extremely alarming. The background check confirms investigators' worst fears. It looks like Raz has an obsession with kids of all ages. He had offenses against a 16-year-old rape that he had served about five years for. And then he had a second offense in 1990 for an assault on a 10-year-old. And that one I was most interested in. The age of that child was similar to Cindy. Investigators are convinced they have their man, but they can't figure out one thing. Why wasn't Raz on the list of known sex offenders the detectives interviewed earlier? The problem was that the laws requiring sex offenders to register happened after his conviction and there was no grandfather clause, so he fell just under the radar uh, by a few months. Now that Raz is on the Doppler, detectives are tracking him like a weatherman tracks a storm. But they're still coming up just short of enough evidence to make an arrest. So the prosecutor's office made a good call. They said, we need scientific evidence. We need to have it verified. And once we have that, then we'll take him into custody. To get Raz in custody, they'll have to get inside the double wide he now calls home sweet home. And Detective Berg just may have the key to unlock that trailer door. I was able to obtain a search warrant to gather some clothing evidence that we were looking for. The clothing that we were interested in uh, were tie-dye t-shirts and some cut-off shorts and some socks. 
the same outfit Raz was wearing when neighborhood children spotted him with Cindy. Several items of clothing that were similar to what were described in the search warrant were observed in the bathtub of the trailer, and those were collected and then sent to the crime lab. It was excruciating waiting for the evidence results to come back. We were fairly sure of what we had. We were excited. We believed we were focused correctly and on the right person. But you cannot make an arrest until you have your evidence processed and the exact information known. But until the DNA results say so, Raz is on the street again, angry and dangerous. Based on the seriousness of the case, we were watching him very carefully, primarily just to keep others safe. Four and a half months after Cindy's murder, detectives finally get the evidence they've been waiting for. We had DNA from his semen that were on the shorts mixed in with blood from Cynthia Allinger. So we had her DNA, his DNA, blood and semen mixed together in the crotch area of his cutoff shorts. That was the nail. We were absolutely elated. Our time had finally come and we set out to arrest him. Within an hour, detectives locate Raz at a bar where he's setting up band equipment. No surprise that when they take him into custody, he isn't happy to see them. He basically leaned over, uh, had an ugly face and a deepest growl, and just growled at me like, why are you doing this to me? And it was very threatening, his way of trying to intimidate me. Raz's tough guy routine just makes Adamson more determined to get a confession out of him. So he goes for broke. We threw some photographs of Cynthia Knowledge's remains in front of him. If anything was going to rattle him, it would be that. And he's, at this point, began shaking. And it was obvious that he knew that we knew. And he wasn't going to walk away from this one. But this cagey character never gives in. There's very few times I've not gotten confessions in my career, but interviewing a psychopath, sociopath, this is one of the few times. But even without the confession, detectives have enough evidence to arrest Raz. Much to the relief of Cindy's mom, Rhonda. Thank God they finally arrested somebody in my daughter's murder. That he was no longer out there in the public. I was a little bit more at ease knowing that they found him. On March 9th, 1999, two and a half years after Cindy's death, Guy Rasmussen is found guilty of first-degree murder. He's sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Based on the evidence, detectives piece together what Guy Rasmussen did to Cindy Allinger on July 4th, 1996 when Raz spots her playing outside her house. I don't think he went to that neighborhood looking for Cynthia Allinger. I think once he got there and saw her, the opportunity then presented itself. Raz invites her to his cabin, promising she can play with his dog. Cindy has no idea her good friend is about to turn into her worst enemy, until Raz leads her past his cabin and into an overgrown field. He had every intention of abducting, kidnapping, and at the very least raping her. Alone in the field, 60-pound Cindy doesn't stand a chance against a man three times her size. 
but he uses more force than necessary to subdue her, and then sexually assaults and suffocates her. I believe she was dead within 60 minutes, which would have been approximately two to three hours before her mother even called 911. With Cindy dead, all that's left for Raz to do is hide her little body. He wrapped her up in the carpet very well, concealed the body very well. They took an empty water heater that was nearby and placed that on top of the carpet. Cindy lays wrapped in the carpet until an officer discovers her two weeks later and calls Detective Adamson to the scene. It's a heartbreaking case that still haunts Detective Adamson. At that time, Cynthia was only a few years younger than my daughter. My daughter was that age, a lot of physical similarities, so it it, kind of hit close to home. Investigators take comfort in the fact there's some poetic justice to this case. They couldn't have solved it without the help of Cindy's faithful friends. It was child witnesses who led us to the suspect. These children's conversations with me were exactly what I needed. That is how I got to the suspect. Cindy's friends and family know she's gone. But in their mind's eye, she's still smiling sweetly, pretty as a picture in her favorite dress. If we were all together in a family dinner, we'd still have a plate there for her. Like, we didn't forget about her. And she might have been there in the spirits. For Cindy's Lakewood friends and neighbors, her memory also lives on. We're all part of this community. Cindy was one of us. And so to be able to bring justice for her, that was great. It was really nice. I always remember her. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Dan and Nancy reside in the peaceful suburbs just outside of Portland, where they are living out their golden years. Their marriage spans over two decades and is seen as a pillar of the community. But when Dan is found dead in his classroom, Nancy finds herself at the center of a murder case that could be ripped from the pages of her novels. Binge all episodes of Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.